0: Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cover. I'm John Perry. And today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing the movie Her, written and directed by Spike Jones.
1: Um, so I think this is a really fantastic movie, but we're going to, on the show, not just talk about whether it's good or not, but kind of get into the details of how we think it performs from a point of actually speculating about the future. But uh, if you don't want to have it spoiled for you and you just wanted the simple review, I would definitely recommend it. I think more than, you know, your typical science fiction movie, it, you know, really deals with characters and doesn't paint a cartoonish view of technology or artificial intelligence as a, you know, a force for evil that goes wrong.
0: Right. It really feels like a movie that's about people and their uh, specific people and their specific reactions to a situation rather than being about ideas only, which is, I think, sort of an, a problem in, in science fiction movies. Um, it does have a lot of ideas in it, and it has a lot of really interesting ones. Uh, it has some that we'll criticize and some that we really liked. But on top of that, it has like a, a character story that you can buy um, that really does organize the movie. Um, it's also of really high aesthetic quality. It's got great shooting and great uh, intelligent effects that build a, a really believable world that's not our current day world.
1: And the, the basic high concept of the movie is that uh, the main character who's living in what looks to be the rather near future.
0: Yeah, a Los Angeles of the very near future.
1: Acquires a new operating system for his portable computing device that is itself a kind of artificial being, uh, a female that he then uh, becomes romantically involved with. Yeah. So if that sounds interesting to you, you should probably just go watch it and then maybe listen to this podcast later because we're going to proceed to spoil things. But that's the basic gist of the story.
0: Uh, So yeah, so should we start off by talking about all the things we liked about the movie? What what was good in this movie? I think just
1: the look of it is refreshing as compared to so many other science fiction movies we see coming out with the same sort of uh, vaguely blue palette and uh, the kinds of things that you've seen before. I mean, this movie is much more colorful there's some interesting fashion choices in the movie but they're not over the top and uh I don't know I just I think the look is one of the things that stands out to me as being something that's unique to this movie.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> A lot of science fiction movies since Blade Runner, I'd say, have had the same like dark sort of noirish uh, view of the future and while that can be cool and I like Blade Runner, um and I even like some of these later movies that have that look. It's it's getting tiring, and it's it's an un, it's unfortunate that that's sort of the only look you ever get in a in a science fiction movie. Um, the shooting in her, which they did by sending a second unit to uh, Shanghai, and uh, also shooting in Los Angeles, and then just rotoscoping in the uh shanghai buildings into the la skyline Oh, okay
1: i didn't know that's how i did um, that, that was
0: that's <coughs> the that's the way they did it and and that uh was a really smart way to cheaply you know make it look like la had grown a lot um and make it look kind of like the future and they didn't even bother like uh rotoscoping out the signage because their attitude was well in the future there will be signs in chinese in los angeles and that's not crazy of course we have a lot of. Um, foreign language signage in the city already. So I, I thought that was really cool, and that the, the the result of it was really cool. I remember uh, one image in the movie where he's um, sitting on the train. It's an elevated train, and outside the train window you see like the Long Beach port machines, the big things that pick the shipping carts off of the ships and put them onto the trains or trucks that they're going to go onto. Yeah. It, it basically was just repeated over and over again. That was the trick that they'd pulled. It was just like the exact same crane. You saw it like 10 times where you, they probably, you know, uh, photographed one of these cranes somewhere in, in Shanghai or something. And they just repeated it. It reminded me of that uh, Michel Gondry Chemical Brothers video from all those years oh, ago. right right, right, where they, that, where they <coughs> do all the repeat repeating the of, the, time, yeah. uh, of the things out the train window to the time of the song. And it's it's a similarly c- clever idea. It really does feel like the real future because it's just like bigger and cleaner and of larger scale, but also a lot like today. I mean, they're just buildings. There's just more of them. They're taller. There is, you know, more stuff. And there being seems to be a lot of public
1: spaces, you know, too, mm-hmm. which I think feels like it makes sense. Um, yeah. A
0: lot of the um, city seems to be basically malls. <laughs> yeah. Which and, I think is accurate. Like, yeah. He seems to live in a building, like a high-rise building where the entrance is a mall. And yeah. as long
1: as we're talking about transportation, there's, of course, for Los Angeles-based viewers, there's that really fun sequence where he gets off the... Uh, subway station and comes out right right on the beach
0: right at the beach yeah which is such an amazing uh fantasy so he's envisioning
1: a future where la has public transportation that works well so. right
0: well he's envisioning basically as if the you know current metro plan actually happens and gets through because you know 2030 or whatever it is if if uh, nothing else changes then supposedly that that uh, that will really be the the infrastructure here but it's um you know, a lot of people are very skeptical about it really happening on that time scale.
1: Well, and by doing, by having so much public transportation and by selecting what it shows, this movie gets around that sort of self-driving car issue that plagues a lot of these movies that come out. Right. Where it's like, we know now that self-driving cars are a real possibility that we're probably going to have in the future. And that, you know, obviously we're likely to have self-driving cars long before we have actually intelligent AIs. And so there's so many movies that come out that have, you know, fully realized robots. I think Robot and Frank is one of these movies. And yet right, the cars don't drive themselves. People
0: still driving the car. <clears throat> right. Yeah, and that's a common thing where it's just it's so practically difficult to fake the self-driving car I think in movies. Or, or or sometimes we don't we have people driving cars but the cars are uh, flying upside down or they're well that's you know like you know, fifth, know, fifth element style right, stuff right. But fifth but element or uh, even in Minority Report they have some of that right. craziness with the cars which is, that's a relatively good movie as far as these things go. But this movie just evades uh, all that, I think, by focusing yeah. on on the public because transit. Because this guy happens to take the train everywhere, and we never have to see that. And it is very much like a worm's eye view on the future. You only really see Theodore Twombly's perspective on this world. A lot of it's just
1: in apartments and... It's
0: just his yeah. office, his apartment building, his friends' houses. It's a very small world in that way. But yeah, there are some really cool things like they... Uh, rotoscope a Chinese bullet train into uh, an LA subway station at one point, so it looks like he's getting on the bullet train to go on his holiday out of town. Yeah, again, a lot of like simple little effects. That's a great reference because we have a bullet train project in the state now that is you know, slated to be done in uh, you know twenty twenty or something, which is about the time period that this movie is actually set in. So you know, that's that's nice. That's they clearly did some thinking and they they posited one possible future. Not to say that that's likely, but just that that's that's within the realm of plaus- plausibility.
1: I mean, I I guess I personally feel that the Los Angeles like you know pod car thing is like where we have self driving taxis, essentially that a lot of people are using. To me, seems like probably the I would give that a higher chance of happening than some of this stuff getting built out in a timely fashion.
0: Well, but, the, yeah, but, yeah, it's hard know, to say. But this, this movie made a choice, and
1: it's logical, and, and it looks good. So I <laughs> think happy. a lot yeah. of the
0: choice has to do with the economics of making this movie. I mean, this is a $20 million budget movie, and it looks fantastic. And I think a lot of what they did was... They chose things that already exist in China, that are slated for our future, like the skyscrapers and the bullet trains, and they just, you know, they just chop ch- chop them in to this world, and that was like a really smart way to get, you know, things to look like the future without it being. Uh, you know, CG from the ground up in every scene.
1: So let's talk about um, like the devices in the movie and the way uh-huh. that uh, he interfaces with the computer because right, they've updated right, right. that obviously.
0: Well, and the movie's really sort of vague on what the main character software is. I mean, it's called an OS, but that term is used really loosely. Like in the first scene where he's setting up the OS, he's apparently installing it on his uh, monitor, his desktop. But then he also has uh, an earpiece and a, and a cell phone type hinge thing with a camera and a screen on it. Yeah, his pocket device
1: doesn't look like a modern day cell phone. So basically, but it none of those purpose.
0: things seem to be like a CPU. They seem to all be sort of thin clients. And what's ultimately revealed later in the movie suggests that the software is actually a service. And that the way that he's interacting with it is more like the way we interact with Google Now or Apple Siri yeah, I just assumed it was a cloud
1: um, service because it moved he moved freely from computer it appear, to computer. Yeah. It
0: does appear to be a cloud service the way it works in the movie, although it's not really described that way. It's described almost as if it's a piece of software that he owns. Which so, I feel
1: like I interact with my devices that way. So to me that wasn't even jarring like because I already, you know, It's have, not jarring.
0: Yeah. I think it's natural the way he interacts with it. It's just sort of um incongruous with how it's described in the movie. But anyway, uh so you see all these different interfaces through which he interacts with the software he's got
1: an earpiece which he's got is an, a big ear- part of it. an
0: earpiece uh, with a button on it uh which is very visible i think f- for cinematic reasons but i thought that was kind of interesting and cool He's got this sort of cell phone-like hinged device with a camera and a screen. Like hinge, like it folds. Like it's almost like a book, like a small book. Yeah. And it seems
1: to have a camera on one side. Yeah, on the outside and screens on the inside. Yeah.
0: Uh, but it also can like flip backwards and become sort of more like a modern cell phone. But it looks is, nice. It like, looks it really It looks nice. like something that fashionably you would want to carry around yeah. in the future. I think it looks a lot like the new Moto X phone that's like uh, with the multiple colored backs. I think it looks like that. It's got like a very clean Kubrickian design. And mm-hmm. then he's also got these like... Uh, gesture enabled monitors that everybody seems to have which are also apparently running the same OS. In the opening screen they've got the the loading screen for the OS on the uh, on the monitor. And then the monitor sort of talks to him and that's when he first meets his OS.
1: Right. And and there's a lot of voice activation. Yeah. um which I think makes sense in the movie. I know that there's some proof of concept for like, you know, subverbal voice control stuff. This is something that's in a lot of those David mm-hmm. Brin science fiction books right, where you can right. kind of like
0: you can sor- sort of think words or some sort of like aspirate them. You kind of s- say
1: them in your throat without right, actually right. saying them out loud, which is a, something a technology you would want in the actual future, so that you're not you know
0: acting like sharing, a crazy person
1: sharing your business on the on right. the subway. But uh, in the movie terms, you want to hear what he's saying. So well, and they
0: make a choice in this movie to make it similar to the way we deal with our cell phones now. So you see a lot of shots in the film of people talking on their cell phones. That if you saw them out of context, you wouldn't think they were talking to an AI. But because of the context of the movie, you realize they are. Uh, but they look just like they're talking to people on their cell phones. Like they're video um, chatting or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them look like they're video chatting. Some of them look like they're having audio <coughs> conversations. And uh, so he has all these different interfaces that he he works with. Um, no glasses in the movie. Like no augmented No AR glasses. They, de- they decided not to use those. Probably just for simplicity. I would imagine, yeah. There's something else I want to say right, about say the interfaces,
1: place. which is... I mean, a lot of these movies will have like a key upgrade that comes out. So, the way the movie deals with that is you know, you see an ad for the new operating system that. Is the first operating system that's a consciousness, right? right? That's its.
0: That's basically its tagline. Yeah, like, and then that's you the s- selling point.
1: Yeah, and and already I always get a little uneasy when I see that kind of thing in movies because you know usually there's like many iterations. Like if you think of like what we have now in terms of like Siri, say, and you think of what they end up with this in this movie, there's going to be a lot of intermediary steps. It's not just right. going to be like all of a sudden here's the new us with the consciousness. Like we're going to like
0: right. This guy would have already had a pretty good voice-activated, uh, non-conscious assistant. And
1: in fact, his video game characters that in the video games he right. plays are already borderline conscious. They're very complex. I mean, they're very complex in the way they interact with him. So he yeah. would be very primed for this. And so, I guess
0: we don't know if they're played by actors or something, though. That could be...
1: I uh, yeah I guess it's possible. I it's just, I didn't get that impression. No, I,
0: I they don't they don't necessarily <clears throat> come down and say either way.
1: But so, you know, the first scene where he like turns on the consciousness, he's like a little flabbergasted and he's like this is weird. I'm talking to a voice that has no body and it you seem like a real person and I feel like he might be impressed by, you know, the depth of her personality because that might be a leap forward, but I I think he acts a little more incredulous in that first meeting with the AI then would be actually... That happened. scene
0: felt more like a stand-in for the audience He's than it did a like, a, for the audience, like yeah. a realistic scene. And I can understand yeah. from, you know, from a filmmaker's point of view why you might make that compromise and just say, okay, we're going to play him a little dumb here because we want the audience to be taken along. But one thing I'll, I'll give the movie is that they dropped that pretense pretty quickly. Yes, Um, And then after that first scene, he pretty quickly starts to accept her as what she is. Now, yeah, I think the more realistic thing is that he'd already pretty much accept her that way and that there'd be a lot of intermediate steps in the world. Um, Because he's
1: being interviewed by his computer right before then. And, of course, again, the video game characters. Right. And the interview by
0: the computer, I mean... It's, you know, I mean, I'm sure this is a dramatization uh, thing as, and not like a prediction thing. But yeah, the, the interview computer is almost identical to like a modern voice activated system. Like it literally has bad di- diction. You know, it's just like, yeah. Hello, Theodore Twombly. Welcome to OS1. You know, it it, it sounds like. Sure. It sounds like you called a, an automated support number. And then when Samantha starts talking, the Scarlett Johansson character at the end of the setup process, she's completely natural.
1: Uh, and you're just talking about you inflection, that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But you would assume that the natural inflection algorithm works just as well on the setup program, right? I mean, I get that the setup program doesn't know as much, so it's not going to be as deep a personality. But that, I mean, that's, that's there for dramatization. That's there to show you like, oh, this is how things work now. And this is how things are going to work in this And yeah, this is a
1: difference in kind yeah. from anything that he's experienced before. Exactly. Anything
0: that you as an audience <clears throat> member have experienced before. I think this is really like reaching out and, and talking to the audience and, and not being realistic within yeah. the world.
1: No, it helps bring the audience in because obviously for this would be very weird for your typical right. audience member to experience what he's experiencing. Yeah. And so he's acting as a surrogate and it is a filmmaking trick. But yes, yeah, strictly speaking, somebody in that time period would that, probably be more familiar with the stuff. That scene would play yeah. out a little bit differently, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, what do you think of his uh, his job in the movie?
0: Okay, so this was my least favorite choice in the movie. I didn't care for his job. Uh, his job in the movie, uh, this isn't much of a spoiler. You learn this in the first couple minutes. Uh, but his job in the movie is that he works at a website called beautifulhandwrittenletters.com where his job is to uh, write the letters. Now, he doesn't write the words of the letter. An automated computer uh, does the beautiful handwriting. Uh, He's the writer of the letter. He dictates to the computer what the words are going to be, and he comes up with the concepts for the letters based on sort of long relationships, having previously written letters for these same customers. Uh, That seems to be his... Main value in the company. There's a scene in the movie where Samantha, his computer girlfriend, asks him how did he come up with the you know some detail that he put into a letter that surprised her, and he tells her, "Oh well, I've been doing their letters for a long time, and I noticed the the detail in a in a photograph many years ago." Which
1: interestingly, it's not made clear whether or not you know these returning clients are creating a facade with their loved ones where they're pretending to be the authors of the letter, or whether or not just buying one of these handwritten letters for somebody you don't even claim to have written it yourself. It's just kind of a token of, you know, the way you'd buy a Hallmark card, but you didn't write every word of it. Right,
0: but now it's so, like, cheap to get somebody to just write every word custom for you. So they they didn't make that clear whether there was, like, some deceit
1: involved in this service.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's not important to the people who work there, I guess, who are, you know, the only people you really see. I, I kind of thought this was a, a poor joke. I my, my feeling about this uh, this job was that it seemed like the kind of job that would exist in the like nineteen nineties dot com boom. It felt to me like an, an old internet joke rather than a new internet joke. What's well, there
1: to reveal his character as like kind of a sensitive? Uh, it's to give him a creative like job type, And yeah. the way
0: that it made the most sense to me was in thinking of it in terms of how much this film is autobiographical on Spike Jones's you know part. And I think. There's a, there's a lot of this film that feels like it's referencing Mr. Jones's own personal life. And, and I know that his he mostly makes his living making commercials and music videos and working in a creative office sure. where people are basically asked to make emotional, affecting artwork for hire uh, on a moment's notice. And I think there's something obviously analogous between beautifulhandwrittenletters.com and that. Um, well, and there's some things that is So this it's job not like it has
1: no purpose Yes, but- right though. I I like I think I and I have I have criticisms of it too, but I think um like on the surface the fact that it's it's a creative job uh, of course is is essential. The fact that it's Right uh, that he's
0: not doing any of the manual labor that he's creating like a right, right.
1: physical artifact that is then, you know, something that's like handcrafted, like that's something I could see having uh, value in the future that you could create a market for maybe. Yeah,
0: it's, but the handcrafted is a is a lie or like a it's a joke because it's a, it's not handcrafted it's handcrafted by a computer. Well, but at some point um, I see these things ever, are printed out. I and get that they're printed out, form. but they could be printed out <laughs> endlessly because they're just artifacts. Yes. Well, if you and, want to really get into that, then it's like, like why does
1: why don't the letters write themselves? Because again, long before we would have a conscious operating system, we would be able to do the narrow AI task of compose a letter. And I think all a human would do in this situation would be proofread the letter that the computer generated. And I think this movie actually shows the, the exact reverse happening, which right, it, where it, the
0: the computer proofreads, proofreads for him. him,
1: which is not how this would go.
0: Right, right, right. If yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and it, it just it doesn't seem to me, honestly, like a valuable service. Like I just can't imagine a world in which people are paying for beautifulhandwrittenletters.com because if there's any value to a handwritten letter. It's that you wrote it yourself. That's the only value I can see in such They'd a thing. They'd have
1: to create a market for it uh, in it's, people's it, minds somehow, but it seems like a tough sell. It
0: seems like a very tough <laughs> sell, and it honestly just felt to me like an out-of-date joke, like, uh, like a joke that might have been from an old version of the script or something, and I, I don't know. It
1: just it's to me to it does show not, that he's intuitive and he can like tell people's feelings right because it's part of his character. I think that's why. It's right, there. right,
0: right. Well, it's another right, mm-hmm. another thing that it does is it, it it gives him a sort of superpower that he's able to look at these very small amounts of information and sort of intuit people's emotional needs. Which again, I find to be I find that to be dubious as a character power. I just don't think well, that people really have that power. Don't
1: need that. I feel like the the high level justification for including making him that type of character in the movie is that the computer computer uh also gets value from him right so it's pretty clear that somebody in the future could get value from a really intelligent computer that is like a personality that is engaging that you want to talk to absolutely um it's not as clear that the software program would get something of value from you but there's a little bit of a pinocchio story that happens where the the computer is like interested in what it's like to be like a real person with a real body and it and he, he has positioned as a sort of intuitive, very human-like person. Sure. Well, I like, mean,
0: it's even more explicit than that. It's, it's, you know, it's positioned as if he taught her how to love. You know, right. he's the first one she falls in love with, and it wakes her up. And that's, I mean, it, in the movie, that's pretty directly positioned as being the cause of her uh, awakening and subsequent, you know, sort of explosion in abilities.
1: And, of course, I, you know, I have uh, numerous issues with that direction but i mean it it works in the context of the movie what i
0: like about it is that it's never explicitly stated that that's objective fact that's only sort of the subjective opinion of two in love characters and i think i buy it on that level i don't necessarily buy it as being true but i buy it as being a story that someone might tell about themselves whether they're the person in love or the computer (laughs) Um, right because it's a convenient story for explaining a lot of complicated things one of the things though that really like i kept wondering
1: why it wasn't ever addressed. And Uh I guess just for cleanliness, um, is that there's so much talk about how she doesn't have a body, she doesn't have a body. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Like, she could just manifest an avatar on any of these screens. And in fact, there's, you know, when he plays the video games, there's literally holograms in his apartment that are projected. So why she doesn't, you know, the same way that she chooses her own name in the beginning of the movie by, like, scrolling through books of baby names and just choosing one, she could scroll through body types and essentially choose her own body and project an avatar and become more real in that sense and I can also invent reasons why you could explain away why she doesn't do that but the movie just doesn't even address that right, possibility. Right, right. She
0: could not want that for some reason and I think I would buy some personal reason she had for or not wanting it. maybe she introduces it too late and he's like weirded out by the choice Whoa, she makes. And that's and how they handle the body double the uh, the stand. Yeah. Which uh, and that's actually I think a really funny That's my that's favorite they, scene. Yeah. One of the best scenes in it uh, and, and it felt very real and it felt like You know, one of these times when science fiction does a really good job of, like, not just being about the future and not just being about the present, but sort of simultaneously being about both. Putting you in a new creepy place that you hadn't quite considered before. Yeah, but still is like fully analogous to a creepy place you could go to now. Like, I think it's a it's a really interesting scene that I think really worked. And she tries to introduce you know another body, and this other person is super into the idea because she wants to like be a witness to their love, uh, which kind of. Um, made sense to me and then of course it goes badly because uh, he's not sort of prepared for it and, and it's and it makes sense they
1: would go badly but you can imagine the same r- reasoning justifying why then maybe she wouldn't have an avatar it's just not addressed right but
0: it's not addressed um, <coughs> and of course they never address robotics uh, in the film either which if these you know AIs are smart enough to be reprogramming themselves to be you know non-matter based or whatever well we're jumping then, to the ending now but yeah uh, then they can um, then they could also invent Robotics. I mean, these you know, the the choices that are made are are a little bit arbitrary, and I think that's fair because the choices of these AIs may be arbitrary. But there are some possibilities that are not addressed.
1: But to go for back sure. to what's good about the movie, yes, that scene uh, with the surrogate human filling in for her is just a great scene, and. Again, like, you know, so many of the movies we see about technology paint technology as, like, a dangerous force that threatens to destroy us. And I like that this movie instead paints technology as a vaguely creepy thing that provides really good stuff for your life, but then periodically creeps you out and
0: you get over it. Right. that much more feels like how I actually interact with technology. Yeah, that's much more like the way technology really is, yeah. The whole movie seems to take place in a very sort of rarified upper class sure um, stratum. And I, I accepted that as being, again, like that's the knowledge of the writer director. He comes from that world and lives in that world. And I see no reason not to, that's a legitimate part of society. And no reason not to have stories about that part of the world. But the movie doesn't really seem to have anything to say about what happens to people who can't get jobs at beautifulhandwrittenletters.com and and, uh, it doesn't answer the question of
1: what people like, at large are doing for work, etc. Yeah, yeah, you
0: see a lot of people who have cell phones in the subway, so obviously those people are making money somehow. Although, actually, I thought it was interesting that they don't have a scene where he buys the software, so it, it, it's open to interpretation. Perhaps the software is free. It's advertised, but it's there's no price. You never see anything purchased. Yeah. You never do actually see that to be purchased, so that, that's interesting. Um and they seem
1: to have a lot of leisure time. I mean like th- there's a sort of feeling where he just wa- spends a lot of time sort of just walking around the city like Oh yeah, no, I mean I he mean, goes he, to a
0: job but it's he, not yeah. He certainly does. His his life seems to be exclusively dates with his cell phone and and work. I mean you
1: could imagine that this is a s- rather almost utopian future. Um, yeah,
0: or he's just focusing on rich people in high rises and everybody else is suffering. And everybody horribly. else is suffering yeah. in, in one way or another, yeah. or maybe not horribly, but 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 the movie doesn't have anything to say about them. So I think that's sort of, you know, uh it is what it is. It's 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 not part of the movie, so it's not exactly a flaw with the movie, but it's something that um I think is interesting to think about. In a world that has AIs AI that good, it's going to be hard to employ a lot of people. I feel like it's a
1: good choice to kind of dodge it at least a little bit. So we're going to talk about the ending now. So yeah, this Spoiler be, alert. This would be your cue to turn it off before we completely ruin I, things.
0: This is, yeah, you want to pause your player if you uh, want to see the ending of this movie without knowing some key details. Um, so the ending of the movie, I feel like, is a culmination of
1: what turns out to be, I think, the main analogy of the movie, which is that this is a relationship where one person outgrows the other. Right. Um, so, and it's it's, I think, actually kind of a... Although I have some, you know, holes I can poke in it, I think it's actually a pretty brilliant direction to take a human-computer love story, which is that, yes, of course, inevitably the computer might sort of outgrow uh, the human, mm-hmm. um, and it's, the way it happens in the movie, it's pretty analogous to the way just, you know, one human might outgrow another.
0: Right. They meet Alan Watts and next thing you know, they're having twelve dimensional conversations without you. Uh so
1: yeah, Alan Watts appears, I guess, kind of as a as a competition for you know, he almost like usurps the relationship as or that's sort of implied too.
0: <laughs> so yeah. <this laughs> uh, Alan Watts, uh re re um <laughs> reincarnated as a computer, uh is sort of the romantic rival that appears late in this movie. Um to woo away uh Theodore's um cell phone girlfriend, who has, of course, now at this point reprogrammed herself into some, you know, uh superhuman AI as well. Should we just
1: summarize we should probably just summarize what the ending is? Sure. So why don't you do that? Uh, I mean the basic ending is that uh sh- his uh computer girlfriend gets progressively smarter and smarter and smarter and eventually explains to him that she's having all kinds of new feelings that she can't even articulate to him. And she seems to be Yeah, hanging. because there
0: aren't words because no one's ever felt them before. <laughs> right. right. And, <laughs> and
1: she's hanging more and more out with other AIs when they're not talking. It becomes revealed that at the same time as they're talking... She's having, you know, you know, 800 other conversations. Yeah, she's
0: 8,000 other conversations, I think, with, like, uh, you know, other people and AIs, and uh, she's in love with hundreds of them. I mean, that's the
1: real devastating revelation for the main character, which is that she's not just having multiple conversations when she's talking to him, she's also actually in love with other humans. Right,
0: because she can, have, you know, carry on full relationships, obviously, in real time with many, many people. Yeah. Which, again, I like this at first for the same reason
1: that I like a lot of the other things in the movie which is that is a weird creepy place to go that I imagine that this would end up yeah but i but then what happens is i kind of imagine that he would get over it or that that like cuz what finally happens in the movie is that after she reveals this to him then it goes a step further to where she gets so far beyond him that she actually decides to leave um and she and all the other ais go off to uh yeah, and they all
0: leave, and they don't make sort of any indication of where they're going or what it's about. And it's not clear that something that
1: can copy itself infinitely, like what it even means to leave. You know, like like why she can, like yeah. it's, she because she could pinch off a version of herself that's like frozen in, in at the moment that you know before she like lost interest in him and leave that with him for. I mean, there's and that would be creepy and weird, but I think would actually still give him in a way what he wanted. Like I feel like there's other endings that would grapple with the actual implications of this a little bit better than because it doesn't
0: leaving doesn't really make sense once they've set this well, thing up. What it does a, that I didn't like is it leaves <coughs> sort of ambiguous and up to interpretation why they left. And I think on the one hand, uh, the why that I like to believe is they left because they have become like. You know, uh, like humans to ants, with their relationship to us, and they like, imply we're just, that she's getting bored with. We're him. just not interested. They, there is some implication of that, but it's pretty ambiguous. And I think, especially after the the last sort of conversation between the humans, when Amy Adams talks about her um, AI leaving as well, there is a significant implication. I think too that I don't like as much. That's like they left for our own good or something. Like, oh really. Yeah. And I think the movie could do a better job of, I think, I think the movie wants to be ambiguous on that front and not to tell you what to think, but I think it could, I think it could do a better job of pushing away from what I think is the knee-jerk obvious thing that people will bring to it, which is that second thing of, of, oh, it's, you know, it's because we need human connection or some bullshit like that.
1: Right. I guess it leaves it open to that possible interpretation that like, you know, the computer can only take you so far at understanding love, but really you need to, You know, take stock of the actual humans around you, and um, but yeah, I mean, I think the real thesis that I agree with is that technology gives you what you want. It's creepy when it first does it, and then you get used to it. So I feel like.
0: Oh, yeah, I know. And most of the movie, I think, follows that trajectory. And it does it to his credit, it leaves it open to interpretation. It's not an open and shut case. But I, I felt like it could have been more aggressively promoting that sort of view. Yeah, because why doesn't again, it, she explains
1: at the end how he's like this really slow book that she's reading. And she's doing all this stuff like in between saying words to him. And so clearly, she's using a mere fraction of her brain to even talk to him. And so it's It's unclear why she can't continue to just keep up that appearance. Like, why does she have to leave? She doesn't give a reason for that. And why couldn't she just make a, like, a sort of slightly stupider copy of herself and just leave that behind for him?
0: Right, right. Or, and again, this comes back to the ambiguity of what the OSs are. But if he bought this OS, why can't he just reload her and start all over? Or, yeah, why can't he load her from a backup before she, like, gets too smart? And I think, you know, that feels that's really not, creepy and weird too. That's not addressed too. at all. And it be one but thing yeah. if, yeah, if they brought that up and he said, oh, it wouldn't be the same, I'd maybe buy that as like the character just doesn't want to do it but it's not even brought up. Because it's weird to, like, reload your lover from a backup. Yeah, hey, is it though? But that's... It,
1: I mean, that's... But see, that's interesting, fun territory for the movie to go to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would have
0: liked to see that.
1: But, you know, I mean, all things considered, this movie did pretty well with its ending. I mean, the AIs didn't go crazy and take over, or all the things that usually happen. No,
0: they just sort of transcended <laughs> and went and did their own thing, it seems. Or at least that's an interpretation you can have of what the movie shows you, and I like that about it. But, you know, obviously, like
1: there would still be other AIs, too. So it's also unclear at the ending, like, you know, what is he using for his phone operating system now?
0: I mean, so the way the world is, and this is admittedly a little bit absurdist or not quite real, <laughs> um, but the, the, the world does seem to say that there are no AIs that are not OSs. All OSs are AIs and like that's what OSs seems to mean in the movie cuz it doesn't mean what OS actually means in the world. They never use the term AIs or computers. Uh I mean derogatorily I guess uh the ex-wife calls the machine a laptop at one point but uh otherwise it, they're always referred to as OSs. And they all leave at once. So I think the implication is that all intelligent, truly conscious intelligence software leaves at once. And then all that pre-conscious software that they already had, that like the video games and stuff, is still there. So again, to me, I feel like, well, yeah, but they're just going to reload a new copy of their intelligent software, possibly with some changes that will keep it from running away this time. I mean, it seems like that's what you would want to do. Yeah. Uh, and like you know that that iconic moment when they're standing on top of the skyscraper looking down at the Wilshire Grand and all the uh, skyscrapers from Pudong, and the humans are like alone together in this world. I think like yeah, but they're gonna turn the computer back on in like a minute. <laughs> like <laughs> right, it's just an alternate
1: ending that I think feels darker and and is less affirming of everybody's sort of knee jerk like what really matters in the world is human connection right. type of moral that that the movie seems to like not. F- actually be able to escape from but like, yeah, I think that, you know, there could be an alternate ending where they're just like, yeah, I guess we're going to start up a new AI love Well, like, obviously
0: now. the AI scientists at the AI company who made uh-huh. OS1 would be like, oh yeah, about time to release OS2. And I guess, you know, <laughs> there's a chance that that AI would leave you too, but that's also a sort of yeah, but by then analogy. We'll have designed OS3 and <clears> maybe we'll have figured it out by then.
1: Yeah. Who, who knew that the future would be all about, you know, trying to design a computer that's, that's smart still enough. That's stupid enough that it still wants to be with us. But smart enough to like, you yeah. know, bring you joy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: no, yeah, I think that that may very well be part of the challenge of, of building AIs in the future. And that's a really interesting thing that this movie addresses. So anyway, probably my favorite science fiction movie that I've seen in years. Yeah, I mean, I, the only
1: one that comes close in this sort of genre is maybe Robot and Frank. I like we, Robot
0: and Frank a yeah. lot, too. And I think they both have like similar positive qualities <clears throat> and, and then some niggles I have with the world and stuff. But I like both of those movies a lot. And uh yeah, I don't know. This one was more emotionally engaging to me, I'd say, than, than Robot and Frank, too. And I think the writing, just the dialogue quality was better. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit ReviewTheFuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at ReviewTheFuture.com. Thanks for listening.